0: Over the last few weeks, we've watched the world shut down, and many of us are left wondering, will life ever return to normal? Whatever tomorrow brings, we can count on one thing. With God, the best is always yet to come. And this season of shutdown, we've been given an opportunity to prepare for a new beginning. So, let's take this time to get ready to restart. Seven weeks ago, we started a series called Restart. We were in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and we began to look at principles from God's Word on how we could start over. Of course, since that series began, our nation has undergone more trials and continues to go through them. If there was ever a season where we needed to hear from God, that season is now. And fortunately for us, our God is into restarts. I think I said this in the first sermon that if the Bible had a tagline, it would be restart because the Bible is a book of people and nations who had a chance to start over. I love the fact that God promises restarts for all of us who are willing to accept what he has to say. In the first message and throughout the weeks, I've given you a couple of verses from the book of Isaiah chapter 43 where God looks to the past and says, forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. And then God asks, don't you see it? Well, for us today, it might be kind of difficult for us to see a restart when we look around at the landscape. But then God makes a promise. He said, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. You know, when I first started this series, my focus was on the pathway through the wilderness and the creation of rivers in the dry wasteland. But now that we're going through so much grief, I'll tell you the word that stands out the most, it is when God uses the pronoun I, because right now... We live in a world where none of us has the power to make a pathway through the wilderness that we're in, and nobody can create a river in this dry wasteland, but the good news is that God can do it. Well, in this last message, I need you to do a favor for really both of us, and that favor is this. Don't let me lose you. Because I'm going to take us into a story that won't seem to matter to us at first. In fact, given what we're dealing with today and this ancient story from years ago, it could be that you would zone out and say, I don't see how this could have anything to do with me. But the biggest lesson of life is here. And our generation especially needs this lesson like it needs oxygen. So please, just stay with me for this story so that our applications will make sense. The time is about 520 B.C., and the people of God, the people of Judah, are trying to start over, but this time from scratch. Seventy years before, their nation was destroyed by the Babylonians, and for the last 70 years, they have been slaves. They have been captives in Babylon. But now they've been told that they can go home. They can go back to Israel and restart. But when they get home, there's nothing but rubble. There's nothing but trash. There's nothing but just discouraging junk. Well, when they got back, they built the walls. That's what the book of Nehemiah is about. Walls were about security. But it must have been so hard for them to process because inside the walls, there was just nothing. They may have asked themselves, why did we build the walls to protect a city full of trash. But there they are. What they've missed so much is worshiping. You know, we haven't been able to corporately worship for weeks, and we've missed it a lot, but they were let off as prisoners to Babylon, and they weren't able to worship for 70 years, at least corporately. We, we sort of feel what they were feeling when at first they were captured, and the Babylonians asked them to sing one of the worship songs. The Babylonians have heard so much about how the Jewish people love to worship with music. We read in one of the most famous passages in the scripture about this experience, in Psalm 137, the captive said, along Babylon's rivers we sat on the banks, we cried and cried remembering the good old days in Zion. Alongside the quaking aspens we stacked our unplayed harps. That's where our captors demanded songs, sarcastic and mocking. Sing us a happy Zion song. How could we ever sing God's song in this wasteland? Well, these people coming home to Israel, they've missed being able to worship. And most of all, they thought about the temple. The temple, Solomon's temple, had been the most beautiful building in the world. And it had been the very centerpiece of Jewish life. You still with me? I don't want to lose you here because this is going to be so important in just a few moments. Well, this temple, Solomon's temple, the most beautiful building in the ancient world, had been built in David and Solomon's dynasty, a dynasty of prosperity, glory, beauty, and extravagance. I won't take time now to tell you about it, but it's in the Bible. There are chapters that tell us about the construction of this temple. And it, there's gold everything. There's, the gold covers this and the gold covers that. The Bible says in that age, silver was practically worthless. So this, this temple is dazzling because of all the gold. And there are priceless cedars and on and on it goes. It was indeed the most beautiful building in the ancient world. And inside the holy of holies of this temple is the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered in gold. And there was a solid gold lid, the mercy seat, with golden angels, cherubim there. A temple that stood for 400 years. But in reality, the glory days hadn't really lasted all that long. A short time after Solomon's temple was built, Israel got into worshiping false gods, and they got into deep trouble with God. And in 586 B.C., God had made good on his threat. He had begged Israel for hundreds of years to turn from their idols, but they kept on disrespecting him. So he turned his people over to the invaders. He turned them over to Babylon. And their king, Nebuchadnezzar, came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and carried the people away as captives. And Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked man, insisted on one more indignity. The temple... The most beautiful building in the world was Israel's national identity. And after stripping all of the gold in the temple, he raised it to the ground and he left nothing but dirt as if to say, you have no nation anymore. Israel no longer exists. But what Nebuchadnezzar didn't know was that he was the one who was temporary. All these things that had happened, God had allowed The Jews were just in quarantine for 70 years, and at the end of that 70 years, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon would be destroyed, and God would allow his people to go home. But as we've already seen in this talk, they were going back to debris. They would have to restart, but this time with nothing. Can you imagine their pain when they first got their, well, I guess their first look at the temple site? It had been the most beautiful building in the world, but now it was reduced to trash and weeds. It's now time for us to meet one of the greatest Bible heroes that you may never have heard of. In fact, you probably haven't heard of him. But before I tell you his name, I want you to think about something. Uh, Let's kind of go to modern times for a moment. We live in an age where just about everybody wants to be promoted to leadership in good times. You know, if there's an important title and a big salary in a corner office... A leased luxury car, maybe a company airplane and a huge staff. Who doesn't want a promotion like that with all that stuff coming with it? But have you ever noticed that it's a different story when there's nothing to gain in a promotion? When, when there's nothing but rubble and pain and exhaustion and about, <laughs> when about the only thing promised a leader is criticism. That's when nobody wants the job. All right, let's meet our hero. His name is Zerubbabel. He's not a king. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He is a very ordinary guy. And hey, let's just talk about his upbringing a little bit. If you know the Bible, you know that the Jewish people were into the meaning of names. And so when a baby was born, often they would put a name on that boy or that girl that was their hope or their belief. And oftentimes the names of these children were given in great expectation. Zerubbabel's dad's name means, "asked for of God. You know what Zerubbabel's name means? Born in Babylon. <laughs> That's, I mean, when they, when they had that baby, the parents of Zerubbabel said, here we are, we're in this wasteland, we're in a devastating situation, we'll just hang the name on this baby, born in Babylon, I take that to mean that Zerubbabel wasn't exactly raised with a lot of hope. But, you know, sometimes you look around for a leader, and if no one steps up, you say, well, I never saw myself as a leader, but somebody needs to step up. And that's what Zerubbabel did. He says, we need a restart. We need to rebuild our temple. And so they begin. Well, if the first temple was built in glory, prosperity, and extravagance, This temple, you have to understand, was built by people coming out of a quarantine. It was built in pain and poverty, depression and desperation. The first temple was built by dreamers. The second temple was built by survivors. Okay, I've asked you to stay with me throughout this old story, promising that I would show you something huge, and here it is. The Bible tells us that when Zerubbabel and his team got the foundation laid, of course it was not like the first temple. I mean, in this foundation, there's no gold everywhere. It's just rock. But there it is. The foundation for the second temple is in place. Let's pick up the story right there so that we can gain these crucial lessons for our times. Ezra chapter 3 verse 10. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow the trumpets, and the Levites clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord. Time out. What we have here is we have a restart. It's not a glorious building like the old one was, but the people have come back in their pain and their desperation, and they've laid the foundation for a new temple. So they're having a celebration. Verse 11 with praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord. Well, that's wonderful. But look at the first word of verse 12. But, you know, it's almost like in any celebration, there's somebody there that takes it sideways. And here it happened. But, Many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud, and this is the most important word to me out of the whole sermon, noise that could be heard far in the distance. Someone could say, well, Mark, you said we're about to learn the most important lesson here. Stay with me. There are four truths that can change your and my life. And we need these truths desperately in our times. Before we get them, let's make sure we get the scene. The people have made a start. They've laid a foundation. The young people who never saw the old temple, they were cheering. The old people, though, who had seen the old temple were crying so loud that it counteracted the praise and turned the celebration into noise. Here are four principles that we so desperately need today. Number one, nobody benefits from noise. We live in a time when criticism and negativity has never been so easy. In our times, just about anybody who tries to do anything good is going to be a punching bag for just about anybody with an electronic device. In our times... About the only way to avoid criticism is to do nothing and sit on the sidelines and criticize the doers. Do any of you Zerubbables out there feel this? I mean, you're trying to do something good. You didn't ask for the job, you just saw the debris, and you said somebody needs to do something. And yeah, it's not covered in gold, but you did something, and now you're being pilloried. Well, these are the times that we live in. Let me stay on this theme and go somewhere else. Think this through with me about these people whose crying turned the celebration into noise. The Bible says several things about them. It says they saw the first temple. Well, they've been in Babylon for 70 years. So whatever age they are, as they make the noise at the temple site, you got to subtract 70 years from their current age. That would have meant they were probably no older than 6 to 12 years old when they were carried away captive. You doing the thinking with me? It means when they left, they would have probably been too young to do anything. And when they came back, they may have been too old to participate in the laying of the foundation, which means they would have lived their whole lives as spectators. It is easy to criticize and find fault when a person is only a spectator. I do want to be clear on something that we must hear today. There is a time to criticize. There is a time to weep. I'm not denying that at all. In fact, when things are wrong and when there's injustice, we need to stand up and make our voices be heard. I just want to make the point that is not when someone is trying to do good. Because when somebody's really trying to make a change, it may not be perfect, and it may not be the way things used to be. But when somebody is trying to do the right thing, when someone is trying to do good, when someone has a heart, they're not getting paid for it, they're not getting anything out of it, they just stood up and said, somebody needs to do something good, that is not the time to criticize and weep. I'll tell you why. Why? And this is what you have to like study several books of the Bible to find out. When that foundation was laid and when that noise built up, did you know that it shut the work down for seven years? For seven years, nothing happened. And every day the people walked past that empty foundation. And they knew when it shut down. It shut down because there was confusion. What was supposed to be a celebration turn sour because of criticism and discouragement. You know, I'll tell you what stands out to me, and this is so important for all of us who are married, all of us in the church, all of us who love each other. Let's understand that criticism and discouragement caused the Israelites to do to themselves what Nebuchadnezzar could never do. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to shut the Jews down forever. But now God has told them that they can go home. They can rebuild the temple. But critical and discouraging insiders did to themselves what Satan could never do. Well, I know those of you who are watching the message, you're New Springers, and, and you're not in the place of the critics. You, you probably wouldn't be at Newspring if you were one of the critics. You guys are the Zerubbables. I, I just want to say... it. If there's somebody out there who's been shut down because of the critics, I mean, you know, you find yourself in the place where you say, I never said I was anybody special. I never asked for this job. I never said I was the smartest person in the room. I just stood up and said somebody needs to do something. And and you're saying to yourself, well, maybe I should just quit. Maybe it should have been somebody smarter. Maybe it should have been somebody with more resources. Well, if you've shut down because someone has criticized you when you were trying to do the right thing, I want to show you something absolutely beautiful. Because Zerubbabel, well, let's just take a time out from him. Can you imagine how discouraged Zerubbabel has to be? I mean, he thought he was doing a good thing. He wasn't a king, wasn't a priest, but now these people that seem to be, you know, historically important to Israel are criticizing what he's done. We can understand why he's quit. But now God comes along, And he sends a message to Zerubbabel, and it's our second lesson. You know, many of you have known this verse for years. You just might not have known where it came from, and now you're about to see. In Zechariah 4, verse 6, God sent this message to Zerubbabel. The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You know, he probably quit Zerubbabel. Because he felt like, well, maybe I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough power. But God comes along and says, Zerubbabel, it's not by might, it's not by human power, but it's by, and this is important, by my spirit. Well, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about the spirit of God? Well, God is Trinity. He is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. We learn a lot more about the Holy Spirit from Jesus in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God in our lives, and he enables us to do things, to think things, to dream things, to accomplish things that we could never accomplish on our own. Here is principle number two. You ready? The question is not who are we, but it's who are we when we are filled with God's Spirit. Let's make it personal for me, for Mark. It's not who am I. It's, it's not what is my background, what, what are my gifts, what are my skills, what are my resources. The question is not who am I. <laughs> the question is who is Mark Hoover when he is filled with God's Holy Spirit. See, many of us get discouraged because we look at our resources and they don't seem to be adequate for the, the building tasks that God has in our life. But God says to Zerubbabel, don't let this shut you down. Don't sit on the sidelines, because it never was by might nor by power, but by my spirit. In fact, you want to look at what God says to Zerubbabel about what he's able to do with the Holy Spirit? In Zechariah 4, 7, God says nothing. Not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Now, one more time, who's talking here? It's God. And God has some messages for Zerubbabel. He says, Zerubbabel, get back in the game. Because you know what? Someday you're going to set the final stone of the temple. And I know you're under criticism right now. But when that happens, when it's completed, there's going to be a celebration, and the people will shout, may God bless this place. And I love this. God said, Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation, and he will complete it. You know, there is a promise in the New Testament that is very similar to this. The Bible says that God, the one who began a good work in us, will see it all the way through to completion. Well, that's who we are when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not who we are when we're filled with self. But when we are filled with God's Holy Spirit, and, and, and in practical terms, what this means is when we completely surrender our life to God working in our lives, when we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, then we can, we can know that God will do everything that he set out to accomplish with us and through us. Quickly, lesson three. By the way, we've seen this before in our series. Let's keep reading in Zechariah chapter four. God says to Zerubbabel, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Number three, don't despise small beginnings. Well, you know the story already, so you understand exactly what God's talking about. They laid a foundation. Foundation didn't look like the old foundation. It doesn't have gold everywhere. It looks small to the people. But God says, don't despise small beginnings. Anytime you have a restart in your life, you're probably going to be a survivor, and you're not going to be able to build in extravagance. And there will be people who look at what you're trying to do, and they'll say, this is nothing, and they'll despise what you're doing. But it's so important to realize God doesn't despise it, and he holds destiny in his hands, not your critics. Now, it's important to me to bring this home in a practical way. If you've been through any kind of shutdown, whether we're talking about the loss of a career or a health crisis or a divorce, or you've been through any kind of tragedy in your life, restarting will almost always be in tiny steps. In the movies, on television, it seems to happen by magic. But in real life, so many times, we take those first baby steps of a restart And there will be those who say, I don't see this going anywhere. But God loves small beginnings. The scriptures tell us this. Okay? Are you ready for number four? What we're going to see in this fourth thing is the biggest thing in our restart series. It's so big, we're going to draw the title of today's message from it. Is there a Zerubbabel out there? Guy or gal? I mean... You just said, somebody needs to do something, and it's a mess, and there's debris, and there's 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 no benefit on a human level from you stepping forward, but you said, somebody needs to do something. Is there any Zerubbabel out there? All my life as an adult, I have loved Rudyard Kipling's poem, If. He wrote it to his son, and he said to him, if you can do all these things, you can truly make a difference in life. I want to pull my favorite segment of this poem out. He wrote, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters the same. I love that. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, and here's the statement, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you've lived for very long, and you've been through any heartbreaks, those words are very powerful. If you can bear to watch the things you gave your life to, broke them. And then stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. That's the rub-able. Okay, here we go. As I said earlier, you have to look at this story in several different books in the Bible. We've, we've been in the book of Zechariah, but now we need to go to the book of Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. But God is still talking to Zerubbabel. The word of the Lord came. Speak to Zerubbabel and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Oh, now God is going to talk to the critics. God's going to talk to those who have been spectators, who made all the noise. Now God's talking to them. And God says, who of you is left How does it look to you now, he asks. Does it not seem to you like nothing? Well, we know the answer to them. But God's not going to spend any more time on them. He now turns to Zerubbabel and he says, But be now strong, O Zerubbabel, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains strong among you. Do not fear. Now, I need to read this whole next section, and then we're going to go back and take it apart, and we're going to find the greatest lesson of life. You ready? God says to Zerubbabel, I will shake the nations, and the desired of all nations will come. File that away. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver and gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. Now, there are so many things there that I need to extract. Stay with me. God has said to the critics, does it seem like nothing to you? And then he turns to Zerubbabel and he says, get to work because I'm with you. And then God makes him a promise. He said the glory of this temple will be greater than the first temple. Well, as we've talked about already, that sounds strange because the first temple had all that silver and gold in it and the second temple is just made out of rock. I mean, and that's what all the complaining was about. When the spectators looked at the foundation of the new temple, they said it doesn't have the silver and the gold in it and God is like, don't worry about that because this new temple is going to be greater in glory than the old temple. God said, by the way, All the silver and gold is mine. This temple with just a rock foundation, it's gonna have something that the old temple never had. Remember an expression I asked you to follow away? God said the desired of the nations will stand in it. The desired of the nations. The New International Version translates this the best because the desired of the nations refers to Jesus. I mean, did you know that the second temple would never have the Ark of the Covenant in it? It would never have the mercy seat. Those were lost with the destruction of Israel and when Babylon carried all the things away. So there will be those who would say, well, this new temple, it, it's, it doesn't have the silver and the gold and doesn't have the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and all the things that the old temple had. And it. it's always going to be inferior. And God comes along to Zerubbabel and he's saying, it's not going to be inferior. It's going to be superior because Jesus will be in it. God knew that roughly 500 or so years after Zerubbabel built that temple, that there was going to come a time when God Almighty, in the person of Jesus Christ himself, would stand on that rock foundation. He would stand in that temple that Zerubbabel and his, his companions built. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure that first temple would have been majestic to look at. I've seen artists' representations of it, and it's dazzling. But can you imagine how wonderful that second temple was when Jesus was there? What gold could take the place of the glory of God? What what power could silver bring compared to what Jesus could do? There's a verse in the last week of Jesus' life from the Gospel of Matthew 21 about what Jesus would do in that temple. The Bible says the blind and the lame came to him in the porches and courts of the temple, and he cured them. Like say, Solomon's temple, beautiful. Not, Not taking anything away from it. It was important. But you know what? Blind people didn't see. They they, they didn't see because they went into that gold and silver temple. Paralyzed people couldn't walk and run because they were in all the gold and the silver. But in, in this second temple, with its ordinary rock foundation, Jesus would stand there and he would do things there that silver and gold can't buy. All this time to get to the fourth statement that really is the title of this sermon. it's the most important thought of this series. I can face anything if Jesus is there. See, that, that, that's what God was telling Zerubbabel, but he was saying this new temple is going to be superior because Jesus will be there. And so many of us have gone through all kinds of heartbreaks and shutdowns. We, we, we've talked about the coronavirus, but, you know, we've said since the beginning of this series that the coronavirus is not the only shutdown. And in our nation, we've had many heartbreaks even since the coronavirus. And we have much to learn much to think about. But here is the important thing, most important thing. We need Jesus. And if Jesus is present in our lives... And if he is given glory, and if he is given worship, we can face anything. Somebody could say, well, Mark, that sounds a little theoretical to me. I mean, I'm living here in Kansas or some other part of the United States or maybe even in some other part of the world. And it's the year 2020, And I watch the things going on in the news. I see the things going on around me. And the idea of being able to face anything if Jesus is here, I, I don't know how to put that together because I don't see Jesus around me. But he is. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said, And be sure of this, I am with you always. Now, if there was a period there, it would still be helpful, but there isn't. Jesus said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Well, I truly believe we're in the last days. In fact, we start a brand new series next week called Signs of the Times, and it's about prophecy and where we are in these last days. But the promise holds. Jesus said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So for all of you Zerubbables out there, who have watched the things you gave your life to broken, and now you're stooping to build them up with worn out tools. You're not by yourself. Jesus is with you. Who am I talking to? You tried, but the critics had a field day with you. And now you've slowed down and maybe even stopped. What did we learn today? Number one, tune out the noise. Noise doesn't benefit anybody. Number two, the question is not who am I, but who am I when I'm filled with God's Spirit? Number three, don't be afraid to make a small beginning to take those first baby steps. And number four, you can face anything if Jesus is there. Wow. I can face anything if Jesus is here and he is. Someone could hear this message today and you could say, well, Mark, how do I know that Jesus is really here? How do I know that Jesus is with me? You may be a religious person. You may not be religious at all. You may have a very favorable situation right now. You could be in catastrophe. This message is going to find us all in so many different places. But I do know this. I know that Jesus is available to anyone who will open the door. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking, and if anyone will open the door, Jesus said, I will come in. Isn't that beautiful? He, he doesn't say if you're part of this culture or part of that culture. He doesn't say if you have this group of politics or that group of politics. He, he doesn't say if you've lived a good life or if you've lived a bad or, you know he, None of that. He said if anyone. We'll open the door. He said, I'll come in. Opening the door, there's not much to that, is there? But that's what the Bible calls grace. It is God giving us what we do not deserve. And the greatest gift is to have Jesus in your life. And here's the thing. When Jesus moves into your life, he will never leave you forever, which means that when the time comes for our death or the return of Jesus, we're going to keep right on living because Jesus is in our life. You may be listening today, and you may say, Mark, what do I need to do to open the door? That that sounds a little theoretical. What, What do I do to open the door? You simply invite him into your life. Jesus is alive. He died for you on the cross, and he arose, and he lives in heaven, and he's bending down. The Bible says this. The Bible says he is bending down to hear from you. And all God is asking from you is that you're willing to put your confidence in Jesus. Are you willing to rest your whole person on the truth that you're a sinner, but Jesus died for your sins to pay for them, and that he arose from the grave? Are you willing to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life as your king and as your savior? I mean, there's there's a reason why the Bible says in Romans 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or rescued. And wherever you are, you may be driving in your car, so when I ask you to pray, please don't close your eyes. You may be in a hospital room. You may be at home. You can be in all kinds of places, but wherever you are, Jesus is waiting for you to talk to him. And if you would like to invite Jesus Christ into your life, I want to help you. You can pray your own words if you wish, but I want to share a prayer with you that calls on the name of the Lord. The important thing is not my words. The important thing is what you mean. And if you're willing to pray this prayer and mean it from your heart, you can be sure that Jesus Christ will come in the door and he'll move into your life. And you'll be able to say, I can face anything now. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But I know you love me very much. Your word says you do. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe that he arose from the grave. And because he lives, I want Jesus to be my Savior and my King. Everything I have, I open the door to him to come into my life. I trust him alone to make me right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, I have a gift that I want to give to you. It's a a gift box. And if you're in the continental United States, all you have to do is text PRAYED. P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. Well, inside this box, there's a Bible like I preach from and also a book that I wrote, small book, that'll answer a whole lot of questions. We want to take your first steps of following Jesus with you. We want to add value to your life, not just for this life, but for eternity. So one more time, all you have to do is text P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. Or if you're watching outside the United States, you can text PRAYED P R A Y E D to 97000 and we'll send you an electronic version of that book. Well, one more time, thanks for joining us today and never forget, you can face anything if Jesus is in your life. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services.